a pat on the back for losing that hour of sleep and still getting here. We lost a few setup guys this morning. We think it's because of the, the hour that we lost. So we're so glad you're here. Sorry we're starting a little bit late, but if you want to just stand up with us, want to say hey to the online audience, we're so thankful you're here. Tuning in. We pray that you would experience God's love even if you're home this
As you pull out your phone, you'll also, um, beside you, is a QR code. And so for those of you, you want to open up your camera. Don't start on Instagram. Just go straight to your camera. And place the QR code as if you're about to take a picture. And a website will pop up on the top. And if you're at home, you should be able to see the URL on the screen. And here, uh, we want you to start thinking about your spiritual gifts and ways that you can participate in the church. Now, there's a lot of service opportunities, and these are just, we're not, you're not committing, but it's to let us know the areas of interest. So, River Babies, uh, Youth Ministry, Foster Care, Care Team, Grounded Group, Set Up and Tear Down, Hospitality, MCing. Um, so, let us get to know you and by just checking off it's not a commitment it's just letting us know Caitlin will follow up with you um, areas of interest and if there's something missing um, below as you scroll further down there's a comment area and you can let us know if there's something else that is potentially on your heart I'm going to share with you my my spiritual gift is hosting so I really love um, bringing people together, um, having them at my house. Um, that's just an area that's very comfortable for me. Another area is Baja Bound. So my husband and I started uh, Baja Bound partic as participants, and now we lead it. And obviously with COVID, it's been really difficult, and it probably will even make me emotional, but um, those families still need homes. And so we usually go in March and October, spring and fall, and last year we were not able to do it. 
Um, this year, uh, we had committed to March 26 build, but we still kind of felt like it's a little too early to try to get a group to go over to Mexico to actually do the build. Um, so we're going to do a virtual build. That was our workaround. And so we need to raise $10,000. This is something that's on my heart. Um, so if this is something of interest to you, Baja Bound and helping a family um, basically build a home and it's going to be virtual, um, please put that in the comments, uh, Baja Bound. You'd like to contribute money towards that. Um, so, you know, that's just something that um, I wanted to share with you while I was up here. Um, we also have a special guest today and um, special guest pastor, and he's going to be talking about our spiritual gifts. Um, I also wanted to remind everyone that next week we will not be um, up here at the Norris. It'll be a beach-only service. So, um, you know, get your extra warm jacket and hat and come down to the beach. It's I love going down to the beach. I like mixing it up. So if you've never been down to the beach, such a great, you know, to watch the ocean and um, just be up early and down at the beach is such a great way to start the day. Um, and that's everything. So I'm going to invite up Bill to lead us in prayer. Thank you. Thank you, Marina. I need a microphone here. There we go. It's going to come. Beautiful. Marina, thank you so much for that welcome. And uh, I get the privilege of introducing our special guest this morning. His name is Taylor Jones. He's a pastor in Orange County at Crossline Church. And he's a pastor to young adults and also for outreach. I heard his message on the beach. And my friends, there were so many dolphins going by. His message was electrifying. It's so, so good. So buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be really great. Uh, Taylor's married to Becca. They have two children, um, four-year-old daughter, two-year-old daughter, uh, and a four-week-old. Four weeks, Becca had a baby. So props to you, Taylor. You are here, and you were on the beach this morning. Yeah. So come on up. I want to pray for you, and uh, just encourage everyone to get your Art of Following Jesus notebook out or the note app on your phone, and uh, this is going to be great as we continue the Art of Following Jesus, uh, his words and his ways. So I want to pray for you, brother. We'll stand socially distant here. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for my brother Taylor. Uh, I just thank you for Amanda and the worship team and just a beautiful offering that that was. And we're at this point, God, where we're looking forward to opening your word, to learning. We thank you for your servant, Taylor. We thank you for Becca uh, with with uh, these precious children, especially a four-week-old. And um, Father, just give Taylor freedom now as he speaks. And uh, we thank you for, God, this, this, uh, this stirring in his heart for ministry in the South Bay. Yeah. And I just pray that he get a feel for what South Bay people are like uh, from this crowd or from the beach and, and that we get to know him and, and be praying for him as he tries to discern yeah. uh, just his future and ministry and what might be. And uh, so bless him, God, and bless us as we receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Right, well, 
Thank you, Bill. Uh, and hello, everyone. I am thrilled to be here. Uh, like Bill said, um, this is really special for me to be here. This is uh, something that my wife and I have been praying just about ministry potentially here in the South Bay. And Todd invited uh, us up here to uh, just to discern, to be here with you guys, to deliver the, the Word of God from the series that you guys are in. And uh, like he also said, we just had uh, our second child four weeks ago. Um, and so, uh, like I said here at the beach, uh, it's, it's Time Change Sunday. I've got a four-week-old at home. I've got a, a two-year-old. Anything weird or strange that I say, we can just like chop it up to, um, to sleep deprivation and we'll just leave it at that, right? It's definitely not me, it's the sleep deprivation. Anyway, uh, I, I love the series that we're in. Uh, this series, which really we're calling a focus here of the art of following Jesus, where uh, together as a church family, we're looking at the words and the ways of Jesus to learn what it looks like to be a community of people who are committed to being apprentices, disciples, followers of Jesus here in the South Bay. And uh, we began last week with Pastor Todd leading us through this next segment of the Art of Following Jesus Focus, learning to play a part in God's mission in the world, God's mission to bring redemption and life and renewal for us to be a people as the people of God who live on earth as it is in heaven, to live in the South Bay as it is in heaven and beyond. So we're going to continue that conversation uh, like was said earlier, by looking at what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, serving in our areas of spiritual gift. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. If you got your own Bible or device you want to pull it up on, you can do that now. Read along with me. I'm going to read our passage. I'm going to read God's word. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that God would speak to us one more time. So Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. You can read along with me as I read aloud. This is the words of Jesus, teaching of Jesus, uh, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew soon before he would be betrayed and put to death and then rise again in victory. So we got Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Here's what God's word says. Jesus speaking. For it will be the, the kingdom of God. It will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you would deliver to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have at least received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he who will have an abundance. 
but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus taking a turn there at the end. That's God's word for us this morning. And we believe that God's word written, recorded by the gospel writer Matthew in his own context and style and, 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 uh, and personality, but inspired by God himself. And every time we open up God's word, he has something to say to us. So let's pray and ask that he would speak this morning once again. Would you pray with me? God, we love you, and we're grateful for this time we have together. We're grateful that you speak, that your word is living and active, and it's sharper than two -edged, any two-edged sword. It, it shows what's really going on inside of our hearts, and it draws us to our Savior who loves us and gives us grace. We pray right now as we open up your word, would you open up our hearts to hear from you? We pray right now, and we just, uh, in a posture of openness, say, come Holy Spirit. Would you teach us? We pray that you would give us not just information in our heads, but transformation in our hearts, that we'd become the kind of women and men that you always made us to be. We thank you that all this is possible because of your grace, that we can bring everything good, bad, and ugly into the light, and that it's safe to do so and let you do whatever you want to do with us because of your grace, because in Jesus, for those entrusted in Jesus, there's literally nothing that any of us could ever do that would make you love us less. So we, we praise you for that. We praise you for the safety of being able to do business with you because of your grace, and we pray that you would teach us. Would, would you show us what it looks like to serve and to be part of the mission of God with our spiritual gifts this morning? We love you. We're so grateful that you loved us long before any of us loved you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if we were to ask every person in the South Bay, like if we were to do a survey and we, we designed a well-designed survey with, it was you know, scientifically uh, above board, and we were to ask people some version of the question, what do you want out of life? Like at the end of your life, at the end of the day, what do you want to have been true of your life? I think, of course, we would expect answers like to find love and, to, and belonging and to have security and things like that. But I would be willing to bet big time money that near the top of the list would be some version of, I want to make a difference. I want the efforts of my life. I want the things that I spend doing in my life to have made some sort of difference for good in the world. And if we were to survey everyone in the South Bay, of course there'd be different ideas of what good means, but I think at the end of the day, we want to make a difference. There was a recent study where researchers were studying different workers' motivations coming into the workforce. So they were looking at recent college graduates entering into the workforce. This was just about a year ago. Uh, and they were uh, asking the question, what most motivates you when you think about your career? And what they found is they, they poured through the research and, uh, and interviewed thousands and thousands of new hires coming out of college and beginning their kind of career tracks of work. They, they found that the, the number one driving motivation was something that they summed up together with the three words, purpose, passion, and impact. That, the, that newer workers were most motivated by purpose, passion, and impact. But as the researchers kind of looked at other research that had been done with other generations, what they found that this wasn't just a this generation, upcoming generation thing, but this was a, in our cultural moment in 2020, 2021, this is an all generations thing, that a driving motivation for how we think about what we do with our lives is what they call purpose, 
passion and impact. The lead researcher summing it up in an article that he wrote for the Huffington Post put it like this uh, as it relates to uh, those of us who lead organizations. He said this, he says, it's officially time to do away with the spent and ineffective motivation tactics, pulling no punches, uh, of the last century. People aren't motivated by acquiring and achieving things as much as we think. They are motivated by fulfilling a purpose. And of course, that has all kinds of implications for those of us in leadership positions. But the insight I want us to, to draw here this morning is just that passion and purpose and impact are a part of what it means to be human, especially in our time and in our place. And this is especially true in a place like LA, the South Bay especially, where creativity and entrepreneurship are just part of the air that we breathe. We want to make a difference. And God's word ultimately would tell us that we want to make a difference. We want the efforts of our lives to be a part of something bigger than ourselves that is for the good of the world because we are made in the image of a creative, good God who oversees his world and created a world with flourishing. And we image him, we reflect his character like we were designed to do with this desire to do it also, to make a difference in our world, to use our lives for good. It's a part of what it means to be human. And so it's not just this time and this place in our area in neck of the woods, but it's an all the time thing to one degree or another. But I think we also have to acknowledge the reality, the experienced reality of what it's like to try to make a difference in a broken world. And what it's like when left to our own devices, we try to use our lives in service for good. It can get really dark really quickly. I mean, just think of how easy it is to think of someone who is full of passion for some kind of good cause, and yet who just oozes ugly, self-righteous pride in the way they do it or talk about it or relate to others who might think differently. Uh, there's a, an Instagram account called Overheard LA, and the premise of Overheard LA is that uh, people submit funny, stereotypical LA things that they hear out on the streets or at their work or with their friends. They submit it to the people who run this account and they post it and we're all supposed to laugh like, ha ha ha, what a beautiful, fun, strange, weird place we live in. And there's lots of jokes about like kombucha and stuff like that, yada yada, you get it. But uh, the, the point is uh, they, they post these, these funny things of, of what people say or have overheard uh, people say. And there was one recently where it was a couple of girlfriends uh, who were overheard on a hike in Laurel Canyon. And this is what they say as they're chatting. This is what the person overhears. Girl A says, she reads books to kids at a hospital. They're talking about some frenemy of theirs. She reads books to kids at a hospital. She went to the cove to save dolphins. She's raising money for Syrian refugees. Somehow, she still manages to be a complete, and then you can use your imagination to imagine the choice word that this girl uses to describe her frenemy. The point is this. Passion for something good and trying to make a difference in the world can really quickly become self-righteousness. And left to our own devices, what the Bible calls the flesh, we have to be honest with ourselves and say, to some degree or another in my own way, I have a tendency to be the Laurel Canyon girl. I have a tendency, this draw towards self-righteousness to think I'm the right sort of person and people that think differently than me are the wrong sort of person. Passion can get really dark really quickly when left to our own devices. It can come out as ugly, self-righteous pride. On the other hand, in, in, in a broken world where there are so many needs, 
It can feel like trying to make a difference, pursuing passion, making an impact. It can feel like just a fast track to burnout. There's a research done recently uh, by Gallup where they were uh, researching employees and they found that 76% of American workers feel burnt out at any given time. Some level of burnt out, 76% at any given time. And that was research done before the events of this last year, before global pandemic, before the 24-7 news cycle of uh, really contentious times and all the stress and anxiety that that brings and the major, although very important, cultural conversations we've had over the last year. The point being, 76% feeling burnout. Imagine what it must be after a really hard year. One journalist writing about it uh, described burnout as, quote, the condition of our contemporary time. And so some of us just in the face of the ugliness of self-righteousness and the potential or at least what seems like maybe even the inevitability of burnout, we just look at making a difference and our desire to make a difference and we just punt. We just feel like either not now or I don't even... I don't even know if I have it in me to do that, or I'm so turned off by people that do seem passionate about things in the world because of the way they do it, and so we don't step in to this God-given desire in our hearts. And so here is the thing, here's the question that we ask ourselves coming into God's word, coming into learning about spiritual gifts, and coming into this teaching from the life of Jesus. As we're in this section of the Art of Following Jesus focus, where we're learning about playing our part in the mission of God, here's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. How can we be a community of followers of Jesus that are a real part of bringing renewal and redemption to the world around us and beginning in this church family without becoming self-righteous and without becoming burnt out in the process? And one key ingredient to answering that question is what we're talking about this morning, about being empowered by the Holy Spirit, expressed through serving in light of our spiritual gifts. I use that term spiritual gifts. It's been used a couple times, uh, even just this morning already. And, And here's what we mean when we say spiritual gifts. The passage we're looking at in Matthew chapter 25 isn't specifically about spiritual gifts, or it's to say it's not just about spiritual gifts. It's Jesus telling this parable about what to do with anything that God has given us in light of God's purposes and in light, and he's explaining what faithfulness looks like with anything that he gives us. And spiritual gifts specifically are this. They are a grace-given ability empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of Jesus' church. It's a grace-given ability empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of Jesus' church. And God's Word tells us that anyone who trusts in Jesus has been given at least one gift of the Spirit to be used in this way. At least one way, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy, something that the Holy Spirit does through us when we serve. And these are not the same as our natural talents and abilities. It could be very related to our natural talents and abilities. They could be capitalized by our natural talents and abilities. But there's something supernaturally distinct about spiritual gifts that are not the same as our natural talents and abilities. And they're to be lived out in the context of the local church family and spread out into the life of, with the life of Jesus out into the world around us. 
And anyone who is a follower of Jesus has one or more of these gifts. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just checking this out and uh, you're just exploring life with Jesus, maybe then you take this morning as like, you're, you're doing reconnaissance, right? Like you're undercover, it's like the Americans and you're like deep undercover figuring out, that's a TV show with like spies and stuff, deep undercover about um, life with Jesus. You're learning what it looks like, what the spirit of God does through people as they trust Jesus. For the rest of us, we need to learn about what faithfulness looks like in a way that steers us away from self-righteousness and away from burnout. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 25, here's what I think we're going to see. We're going to see that the spiritual gifts are about God's glory and agenda, not my glory and agenda. They're about what the Spirit of God does through me, not what I think he should do through someone else. And the uh, spiritual gifts are about what the Spirit is doing in me, not just through me. And so we'll begin by looking at the spiritual gifts that are about God's glory and agenda, not just my glory and agenda. Or not at all my glory and agenda, I should say. Verse 14, the beginning of this parable starts like this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, and, and there's the kicker, and entrusted to them his property. The, the, the property, the, the money, the talents that are given in this parable, the, the, from the get-go of the parable, we're told that they belong to the master. The property belongs to the master, and he gives it to the servants to be used for his purposes. Likewise, the spiritual gifts, they belong to God. Your spiritual gift, if you're a follower of Jesus, my spiritual gifts as a follower of Jesus, they belong to God and they're to be used for God's glory and agenda, just like the talents in the parable were to be used for the master's purposes and agenda. That you and I have been given something to be used for God's purposes. So we've got to ask, what are God's purposes? Well, the context of this parable is really instructive. Context is always key in reading the Bible, but it really helps us flesh out what is going on here in this case in particular, because Jesus has been in this section where he's talking about what it will be like when he returns. At the culmination of history, when Jesus comes again and brings in a new heaven and a new earth, he's he's teaching about this, and then right after this is the the teaching about the sheep and the goats, and uh, it's about a service to the poor and the marginalized and the disenfranchised and whatever we do for the poor and the marginalized and the disenfranchised, it's as if we're doing it to Jesus. And so what we see here is this vision of Jesus's plan for renewal for his creation and for people that he loves. And so Jesus's agenda, as he has sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit endows us with gifts of the Spirit, his agenda is the renewal of his creation, the renewal of people that he loves, starting in the church family, starting with the community of Jesus, spreading out into our local context, so spreading out in the South Bay and out into the world. God's agenda is that we would live on earth as it is in heaven, starting being a community of people who live on earth as it is in heaven, and then working to see the South Bay be as it is in heaven and the world beyond. That is the agenda that God has given us the spiritual gifts for. And our posture is to use the spiritual gifts in light of that purpose. Think of it this way. We have been called to be wealth managers of our spiritual gifts. So a wealth manager, maybe some of you are a wealth manager or you work with a wealth, wealth manager. A wealth manager takes assets that belong to someone else and helps maximize those assets for the goals of that person. So if you sit down with a wealth manager or you're a wealth manager and you're sitting down with a client, one of the key questions that will be asked is, what are your goals? 
Maybe you want to put more money away for a college fund, or you're putting more money away for retirement, or you have a particular type of investment that you want to grow into, or you have goals of wanting to buy another home, and so you're putting more money into a, a larger down payment for a home, or whatever the case is, whatever your financial goals are, the wealth manager helps maximize those goals, but the client is the one determining the goal. Now, the wealth manager has thoughts, of course, of what the goals might be of, of wise practices and, and, and financial planning, but ultimately, the assets are being used in light of the, of the client's goals because they belong to the client. We are to have that kind of attitude with the gifts of the Spirit. What has God given me to do? They belong to Him, and how do I maximize what belongs to Him for His purposes? We're wealth managers of our spiritual gifts. And wealth managers not only think about the, the client's goals, they actually do something according with those goals. Otherwise, they'd be fired, right? They'd be out of the job. We've been given something. We've been given something, and now we're to do something with it. First Peter 4.10, Peter puts it like this. As each has received a gift, it's very to the point, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So you've been given a spiritual gift in light of God's redemptive purposes, so use it. Use it. There are all kinds of awesome ways to do that here at the River Church. There's, uh, you got a QR code uh, on your seat. Uh, if you scan that, you look through all of the different options there are to serve. There are great ways to serve here at the River Church, to begin dreaming of what God might do in and through you. And as you dream, as you are those who dream of what a redeemed South Bay would look like, beginning by the, being a healthy spiritual family of God, we're to serve doing what God has called us to do with the gifts that he has given us. So they're about God's glory and agenda, not about our glory and agenda. And secondly, we see that spiritual gifts are about what the Spirit does through me, not just what I think he should do through someone else. In verse 15, the parable goes on. It says, uh, the, the master gives to one five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to their ability. And by the end of the parable, what we learn is that the two faithful servants receive the exact same praise as, as each other, with no distinction between how much of a return on the investment that they each got. The one that had five talents had more to work with at the beginning, and so the, the, total, the, the total yield at the end is higher than the one that had two talents, but they both received the same praise from the master. They both are treated as if they had been faithful with what they've been giving, and, and the master is thrilled about both. We need to see that whatever God has given us, it's what God has given us and it is necessary for what he's doing in his kingdom. That we need to remove the thinking that if I were just like someone else, or real service looks like this person that I think is really impressive. And if I could just teach like her, if I just knew the Bible like him, if I just prayed like she did, if I just could share my faith like that guy did, if I just had a heart for service like them, if I were just good at administration like this person, then that would be real service. But what God's word is telling us is that whatever the Spirit does through you, that's what the Spirit of God wants to do through you and the church and the world need it. It's not the same without it. Uh, the, the writers in the New Testament over and over again use the image of a body to describe the spiritual family of the church. And they, they're doing so to talk about and teach on spiritual gifts. Here's what 
Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 17 to 20, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The Apostle Paul is evoking this image of a body, part, a body that's only composed of one part. Like if it were all an eye, and what we're supposed to do is in our mind's eye, imagine what would a body be if it were just like a clump of eyeballs, right? It would be terrifying. Like this is nightmare fuel. This is the stuff of like hours and hours and hours of therapy trying to work it out because if you came across a body that was just a clump of eyeballs, you would need to see someone to help you immediately to get that image out of your mind and not be scarred for it by the rest of your life. It would be terrifying. Not only would it not function, it would be ugly. It would, it would not shine the light of Jesus to the world around it if now we're imagining the church. The church needs every gift of the Spirit, which means if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your church, this church needs your gift of the Spirit. This church needs you to engage in community both formally and informally through serving in, in, in your relationships and then also helping meet needs around here, using your full spiritual gift, using who God has uniquely made you to be, not who you think he's made someone else to be or what you think other people would expect you to be. And this is how the church flourishes and thrives. It's how the kingdom of God comes through his church. The body needs you. You're an eye, awesome, be an eye, but be an eye. You're a hand, awesome, be a hand, but be a hand. I'll tell you a way that um, I've seen this in my own life in the last year is uh, one of my roles at the church I'm pastoring at right now uh, is to oversee our, our outreach ministries. And one of our outreach ministries uh, is a food pantry. And so we, we run a food pantry where families come and get groceries for the week. And we work with a bunch of different local food banks in Southern California. Uh, and it's, it's, really, it's really fun, awesome ministry. But the actual operations of the food pantry are not stuff that's in line with my spiritual gifts. As best as I can discern, my spiritual gifts are teaching, or what the Bible will call teaching and shepherding or pastoring, um, which is why I have the job I have. But um, that's neither here nor there. Um, but, uh, but there's a lot that goes into the food pantry that I'm really passionate about. I, I'm really passionate about mercy, uh, mercy ministry to the marginalized and the disenfranchised. But a lot of the actual operations are not stuff that's in my spiritual gift. And for a long time, I had a, a really um, involved hand in overseeing the operations of the pantry. And it was fruitful ministry. About 100 people a week were coming, to, 100 families a week were coming to get groceries and we were praying for people and blessing people. It was awesome. Um, but about a year ago, um, I took on leadership of something else in our church. And so we handed off leadership of the pantry to a couple other leaders. Uh, two leaders in particular, a guy named Rick and a guy named Lewis. And the operations of the pantry are completely within their spiritual giftings. And since they've taken it over, we've gone from serving 100 families a week to 400 families a week. We, the volunteers uh, are thriving like never before. There's more volunteers. The whole ministry is thriving in a way that it never did when I was the guy leading it. And do you know why that is? It's not just because like I'm incompetent and like I can't run a food pantry or whatever. It's because there's something spiritual that's happening when they serve in their spiritual gifts and the Spirit of God is moving in a way that, it, that the Spirit of God isn't, it's not the way the Spirit of God works through me. And I was withholding what God wanted to do through them if I, had, I would have been if I hadn't delegated it out to other people who were far more gifted in that area. And the world would have been withheld from blessing that God wants to give if, they, if these two men had not chosen to serve in the way that match their spiritual gifts. And so every body part counts 
in the body, every spiritual gift counts in the kingdom of God, which means our contributions really, really matter. This is not just about fruitfulness. It's about joy in the process of serving God. Because two of the key things in burnout, two of the key factors to burnout, are feeling like your contributions don't matter and feeling like you can't say no to otherwise good things that aren't in light of your God-given capacity. And so when we think about spiritual gifts, our contributions really, really matter. And so we're not just hamsters running on a hamster wheel doing a bunch of service stuff that's not making a difference for eternity. When we live and serve in light of our spiritual gifts, we're making a difference for eternity. And knowing what God wants to do through me in my spiritual gifting and saying yes to those things frees me to say no to otherwise good things that God hasn't given me to do, which is a guardrail against burnout. If knowing who you are is the first step to having healthy boundaries. And so knowing what the Spirit of God wants to do me is the first step of having healthy boundaries in the way that I serve and follow Jesus. And so the question has to be, what are my gifts? How do I discern what my gifts are? Well, the team has put together an awesome uh, set of resources to discern that over the course of this week. There's the podcast, there's an article, there's a, a great list of resources that the team has put together to discern what your gifting might be, where they unpack the different giftings of the Spirit that the New Testament talks about, the different categories, ways to serve in light of those giftings. Please make use of that. It will be so helpful. But as a baseline, the most important thing to do to discern your gifts is to start serving. You will hear the Spirit of God showing you what, what He has called you to do when you actually start to do something. And it might be redirecting. You might start serving in one area of ministry and then realize this isn't really my sweet spot. But actually, when I do this, there's kind of a part of me that gets brought out. And so that part of me is actually, if it's not the best fit here, but it could be really well used somewhere else. Or maybe you start serving something and it's not even really the thing that you thought you were like super passionate about, but you start doing it and you realize, I love this and something really powerful happens spiritually when I start doing this and God is building you in, in you a new passion in light of your gifting and you're learning by serving. Because spiritual gifts are about what the Spirit does through you, not just what you think he should be doing through someone else. And so we'll close with this that finally the spiritual gifts are, are also and most importantly about what the Spirit is doing in me, not just what he does through me. Um, there's a really insightful uh, thing that happens in the interaction between the master and the unfaithful servant in this parable. Uh, this, is, this is how it goes. Um, the one who, it, it's starting verse 24, he would receive the one talent came forward and he says this to the master. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Now, it's, it's important. This isn't necessarily a, a commentary about God's character. This is just an insight into the unfaithful servant and his perception of the master. So he says, I, I knew you to be hard, gathering where you, don't, where you didn't sow and, and um, reaping, where you, uh, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And then he says, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. See, the reason that the unfaithful servant didn't, uh, didn't serve faithfully with what had been given to him by the master was because he was afraid of the master. In other words, he didn't trust the master's goodness. And so he took no risks in serving the master. 
And the implication then is that the faithful servants serve because they believed something about the master that drew them into trust. They had a big view of the master, a very big view. They felt compelled to be obedient to the master. It wasn't just this, this low, kind of like squishy view of the master. No, they, they knew that they were accountable to the master. And yet, that, that knowledge of accountability, that big view of the master, didn't paralyze them with fear. They also believed something about the master that led them to trust, that led them to take a risk and step of faith. They believed in the goodness of the master. See, if we're to serve faithfully, it's, it, it comes from a place of rightly seeing who God is, rightly seeing how God views us, and being moved to trust. Seeing that God is the creator of the universe to whom we're accountable, and he's big, and he's higher, and he's the one that spoke and flung quasars into existence, and who holds the entire universe into his hand, a scope that we can't even possibly conceptualize, and yet who is near and close and loves you and loves me with overwhelming self-giving love. That's the starting point. That is the fundamental foundation for serving faithfully with what the Spirit wants to do through us. But an interesting thing about this parable is that it also points out that the process of serving faithfully is also the means by which we come to see God for more and more of who he is, and we're drawn more and more into trust in who he is. There's a, an interesting uh, verse in, in verse 29 that can be easy to misread, but here's what it says. It says, for every, to, uh, the master speaking, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that what he has will be taken away. It'd be easy to read this read that verse and think that the the one the having is having the master's property, the not having is the not having of the master's property. But that, that doesn't make full sense in the light of, of the parable, because in the parable, every character has some of the master's property. Every, every, every servant has some of the master's property. So there is no one in the parable that doesn't have property. I think the, the best way to read this verse is that. The having and the having not is not the master's property. The having and the having not is trust in the master in the first place. Faith in the master in the first place. And he says, to him who trusts, to her who trusts, the process of trusting will deepen trust. But to him or her whose heart is hard towards God, that that self-protective hardness towards God is going to result in more self-protective hardness towards God. That when we serve in light of our gifts, God is building something in us. He's building trust in him. He's building us to be defined in him, becoming the women and the men that we were always made to be. Serving in our spiritual gifts isn't just about fruitfulness, what God does through us. It's about what God wants to do in us in the process. And here's what that does. Recognizing that God is doing something in me is a guardrail against the danger of self-righteousness in the way that we serve. Because in our efforts to do good, in our efforts to live out of passion and bring good to the world, when we define ourselves by our ability to do good or that we're doing good, it will always lead to some kind of self-righteousness. Whether or not we say anything self-righteous or do anything that anyone would recognize self-righteousness in our hearts, when we identify by our utility, when our identity is in our utility towards something good, it will always lead 
to self-righteousness. But Jesus is inviting us to this process of not, being, not having an identity in our utility, but having our identity in a relationship with him. He says, come to me. This process of trust is to see God for who he is and who we are in light of who God is. That I am more sinful and flawed than I even realize. And God is more aware of anyone of that reality. And yet that same God against whom I have sinned loves me with a, with a self-giving love that I can't even imagine. It goes beyond even my wildest dreams. So the question is, if that's the, the, the foundation of serving and that's what God wants to produce in us as we serve, how do we come to really, truly, personally experience God in that way? How do I come to really, truly identify myself in that kind of God? And, and here's where Jesus is a master teacher and Matthew recording, uh, recording this is a, is a master storyteller because this parable leaves that question begged. It, it, it shows us that we're to serve faithfully. It shows us that we're to view the master with a way that leads us to, towards trust, but it leaves the question of how hanging. And yet in the flow of the story, this story comes right before the how or what we need to see in order to get to the how right in front of our faces. Because right after the story, just, just paragraphs later, we learn about Jesus not just as a teacher, but as a, a, as a self-sacrificing savior. That just paragraphs after the story, we learn of how Jesus was betrayed, how he went to the cross to, to die for your sin and to my sin and to raise in victory over sin and death and the powers of darkness. What we see is what we need to see in order to come to fully trust God. We need to see Jesus. Because when we look at Jesus, we see the God who, against whom we have sinned, that acting as the same God who sent the Son, the creator of the universe in the human history to be one of us, to live the kind of life that you and I haven't lived, a life full of service without self-righteousness and without burnout, full of perfect trust in the Father, to do for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves, and then to not act as if he were the, the one to reap all those benefits, but instead to put himself in our place and to exchange, give him, give us our righteousness in him to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves by dying in our place, putting our sin on his back to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin and then to rise in victory over sin and death and the powers of darkness. When we see Jesus, we see the self-giving love of God. When we see Jesus, we see the self-sacrificing grace of God. And that's what changes everything about what he's given us to steward well in his gifts because it draws us to trust. And so right now, as we consider what this is going to look like personally in our lives and how to apply this personally in this process that we're in, the art of following Jesus, we have some time to do business with God. And I'm going to pray right now, and as I do, I just want to draw you to just reflect. What does God want to teach me? What does the Spirit of God want to do through me? What do I need to apply in my life right now? And all the while, we're going to look at Jesus. In a moment, we're going to continue worshiping through song because when we worship through song, we hear each other worshiping, we see Jesus more deeply. There's a moment that happens where the stuff we're talking about can go from our heads into our hearts. 
And so right now, as we close again, would you, would you pray with me and, and let's do some business with God as we look to Jesus. Would you guys pray with me? God, we love you. And we're so grateful for your grace. We're grateful um, for everything that you are for us through, through, through your son. Grateful that in Jesus, even though each of us is more of a sinner than we would even be willing to admit, or that we even really know, you love us so unconditionally. And you call us yours, you call us forgiven. You've separated us, if we're in Jesus, from our sin as far as the east is from the west. As we choose to now not identify in something apart from God, but identify ourselves in you. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would, uh, that you would teach us what it looks like to serve in our gifts. Would you show us what you want each of us to do individually? And as we do, we pray that it would look like the kingdom of heaven in the South Bay. That the body of Christ would serve and love one another and, and bring our full gifts to bear in the way that we do community together in a way that brings life. And as we go out and scatter into our callings in the world with our friends and our families and our neighbors and our coworkers and the work that we do, I pray that we would bring the life of Jesus with us, serving with the gifts that you've given us to bring renewal and hope and redemption to the world. We pray, God, that you would use this community powerfully. And all the while, would you be building in us trust in you, building in us a more deeper, a deeper, fuller experience of the love of God. We love you, and we ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Taylor, for bringing the word today. I got to hear that message twice, and uh, just such, such a wonderful and freeing reminder that the life of, the, of service, the life that is thriving and following Jesus is not, it's not about memorizing like an algorithm to perfect your life. If you follow these five steps, you'll be doing it all the way. And it's not like solving a riddle in your heart. Like, okay, what, what am I made for, Lord? Help me understand that. But it's, it's really like opening your heart and saying, Holy Spirit of God, here I am. I'm available. I'm here. Compel me. Woo me. Gently lead me to those things that, that you'd have me put my hands to and my heart and my life to. And, and then it's just kind of jumping in the water and swimming. Like, I love that Taylor said that. The best way to begin to discern what is it that you've kind of gifted me in is to just start trying stuff, not out of guilt, not because some ministry leader twisted your arm and, and told you we really need you, but because the spirit says, hey, try this out. And then you'll find out what, what really you're not good at or like, yeah, I'm not really wired for that. Or maybe you'll be surprised and find out something amazing uh, turns on in your heart and life when you begin to serve in this area. And that's the adventure of following Jesus. Because the next chapter will almost always surprise you. And it will scare you thinking about turning that page or putting yourself out there. But it will undoubtedly, and in, in my life, and as I read the scriptures again and again, it'll blow your mind. And it will be surrounded in the shalom of God, the peace of God. Not guilt, not shame 
not fear of man, but the peace of God. So right now, as Godwin tickles the ivory, and as we sit and reflect, I'd like you just to just to do that. Say, Lord, take an inventory of my life, of my time, of my ministries. And maybe this morning and this week, God's actually going to ask you to release a ministry you've been doing. To say, you know what? You've been doing that for a season. You've been busy with it. And I'm actually let, releasing you from that. That might be what God's doing. And then opening something new up. Or for some of you, it's been a nice maybe a healing time. You've maybe transitioned from ministries or churches or life stages and you need a time to heal. And, and maybe you're still there and that's great. Be there. But maybe God's kind of saying, hey, now it's time to take a step out. And so um, the cool part is it's the Spirit's work. It's not our church. It's not you. It's the Spirit in your life. So rather than preaching a second sermon, let me just release us to a time of reflection. And if you're listening at home, um, take some time and maybe journal a little pray a little bit, and then I'll, our worship will kick in, and that will be your cue to continue glorifying God. Anyways, all right, so let's take a few minutes. As we continue in this time of reflection and worship, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand with me. And um, just even the beginning of this song that we're about to sing, a thousand times I've failed, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, so I'm caught in your grace. It's just such a beautiful reflection of Jesus is always here and ready for us and that the pressure to be perfect or to perform is off and that um, he's with us. His mercy is with us. His grace is with us. So let's sing this together a thousand times out there. A thousand times I feel still your mercy remains. Should I stumble? 
So, Lord, that is our prayer this morning. Let justice and praise be our embrace. Whatever gifts we can give, Lord, we give them to you this morning. Wherever we're at, God, we just show up to you. And, Lord, as we move into this next song, we believe that with those gifts, you are faithful. You don't leave us where we're at. We don't come closer to you, and you don't watch us come closer. You come closer. You come even closer. So, Lord, would you come close to us this morning as we stand on the promises, we stand on the goodness of our God in whatever circumstance. Changes may come, changes may go, but you remain the same. Thank you. 
while we're dancing.